1 Corinthians 13:1 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am a noisy sounding gong or a clanging cymbal And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love I am nothing If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love I gain nothing Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. Well, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Yav. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, good to have you here. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day to Ryan Kluge with his two new babies at the back. <laughs> driving that, you know, that, you know, that heavy license for driving that sort of plan there, mate. <laughs> That's a. That is uh, good to have you guys here. Um, but we're about to look at the Bible. Before we do that, actually, Thursday night, I want to say a big thank you for all those involved for the prayer and praise. And a big thank you to Esther and Anna who, who drove that. All the guys in the band. It was an amazing night. I'm not going to sing when I pray today, just in case you're worried of that. Um, but a big thank you to those involved, and that was a great night. Um, uh, we're going to open the Bible. We believe that God speaks through the Bible. And it's no accident you're here this afternoon that God wants to talk to you and address your heart and mind. So I'm going to pray that that would be the case. Let's talk to God together. Father, we want to thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness uh, to us. Thank you that you know us, you know us, each of us individually, you know where we're at, how we're feeling right now, and you know that what we need is a word from you. So we want to pray that uh, that would happen right now, that you would, um, that you would by your Holy Spirit, be here among uh, these people, and address us and speak to us what you want us to hear. Help us put our distractions aside, any worries, thoughts, concerns, worries in the week ahead. Lord, help us just to, to be still now and sit, sit, sit before you and hear you address us as our loving Father. So, Lord, please bless our time now, we ask. Amen. I get blinded by the light that comes through, like, it's like an angelic, like, but I, you know, anyway, I just can't see for a while. This blinds me. Sorry, I did sing there, didn't I? Whoa, I just pulled a David Bennett. Anyway, <clears throat> okay. Now, um, it's pretty fitting that today is about 1 Corinthians 13. Um, just, just yesterday, Katie and I celebrated our, our 11-year wedding anniversary. <laughs> Kindly, Tim Reed said before, you don't look that old to have 11 years, uh, 11 years married. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. Um, but uh, it's, it's time that we look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's about uh, love, and, and so I thought we'd uh, kick off our time with a bit of fun, a bit of crowd participation, it worked so well last time, we thought we'd have another shot at it. But we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13 today, and we see that 
Love is, is, uh, is it's really central in our culture. It's, really, it's a timely passage to us. I think uh, love is so central in our lives and so central in our culture. And not just romantic love. We have love in friendships, love in families, uh, love for whatever it is. Uh, love is really central. And so there are so many movies and uh, themes in movies that are about love, or you can choose a number of songs that are about love. So I want to play a game with you. I'm going to call it the love song game. <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out a few lines from a song. Hang on, wait, wait there, Mitch. I want your horses there. Um, we're gonna, I'm going I'm 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 to read, because if I sing, you make your ears bleed, um, uh, a line of a song, and then the first person with their hand up and tells me the artist and the name of the song wins a twirl. If you choose to sing the song, you double your prize. Okay, now this morning we did this, we had two singers. It was really good. We really enjoyed it. So, are you ready? Song number one. First person with their hand up um, gets the prize. Here are the lyrics. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you, for tomorrow I'll miss you. Remember, I'll always be true. Anna. Beatles, what's the song? Well done, Anna. Good job. Well done. Well done. All right. <clears throat> I should, do, you want, do you want to sing for us at all, Anna? No? Okay, great. Here we go. Next one. Here's the next one. Um, questions of science, science and progress. Oh, I hear Sarah at the back. Hello, Sarah. Yes. Sarah, would you like to sing it for us? Okay, yep, yep, okay. What's the song? Yes, well done, well done, good job. <coughs> Do you want to sing? Okay, no singing. All right, come on, someone's got to sing. Anyway, here we go. And I said, Romeo, take me, take me somewhere we can be alone. Oh, right. <laughs> yep. Well, do you want to sing it for us? Oh. <laughs> Good job. Good job. All right, here we go. Um, song number four. Not yet. Not yet. Look, that's a good answer. It's not the right answer yet. We'll just hold on there. Okay. I'm out of touch. I'm out of love. I'll pick you up when you're down. And, all after, and out of all these things I've done, I think I love you better now. Lydia. <laughs> Ed Sheeran, yeah, what's the song? Someone's singing, I can, hear, I can hear a mumble, come on. Lego house, well done. Lego house, well done. Last one. And, ready? And I, I, I will always love. Yes, Ebbs. Do you want to sing it for us, Ebbs? Here we go. Uh, Good job, Evs. Thank you. Give Evs a round of applause. You smashed that. And adequately backed by Brendan in the back corner. Thank you, mate. That was very good. Very good. <clears throat> now, I've got, to pick, I've got to pick a number of songs to pick from there that are all about love. Why? Because our love is everywhere. It's so central in our culture. And most of those songs are about romantic love. But love is way more than that. Love is... If we broaden out for a minute... Um, life is not just about finding that special someone or, or about getting married or finding the one. Love and, and relationships are, are, are broader than that. 
See, I think, uh, as we know, that as human beings, we're made as relational, uh, relational people. That's what it means to be human. Relationships connected to other people. That's why God has made us. We have a series of relationships to belong. It's pretty clear when we look around, when we're honest with ourselves, we all long to be people who are connected to other human beings. Genuine relationships where we're accepted, where we're known. A community of people, a community based on love. I've said it many times, but we see this especially with our addiction to social media platforms, with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We all have an, an appetite for relationships, for belonging to a group, to a community based on genuine love. I was just watching um, the other day um, some rugby union and one of the teams that I was watching won and they had a bunch of supporters called the Hillbillies that sit on, they go to every single game of rugby and they sit on the hill and they go, we, they, go we said, they said we go rain, hail or shine and they're a community of people gathered together united by the love of Warringah rugby. That's what they do every single week. They want to belong. That's like we all do. We, we all want to belong. We all be, want to be part of something, a community where we feel loved and accepted. Today we look at a passage about love, and as Jess said, it's often used at weddings, but that's not the direct context of what's going on here. Uh, here Paul is talking to his young church, and he's calling the church to be a place that is based upon love. And that's just about not a feeling, but how they relate to one another. A community where love is the central pillar of church. And my hope today is as we, as we hear what God has to say to us through 1 Corinthians 13, is that we will be reminded, one, of how much God loves us, but two, what he calls his church to be, and three, our part to play in that. What is our role in being part of this church? So let's have a look at chapter 13 together. Uh, we come to chapter 13, and, and uh, as Jacob said last week and showed us last week, Paul is addressing this young church and how they operate as a church. And especially in chapters 12 to 14, he's talking about how they operate when they gather together. Chapters 12, 13, 14 are all about how the church functions, what they have to do, specifically with their gifting and, and, and abilities, when they gather together. That's what he's talking about here. And if you remember this, uh, this, this, uh, the past few weeks or whatever, um, this church had a real issue with arrogance and pride and hierarchy and I'm better than you and you're better than me and, and this power game going on. That's what is going on in this young church. <clears throat> and last week we heard that Jacob was talking about in through this passage that God gifts his church and we're all united, all united by the Holy Spirit. We have different gifts though to use for the common good. It's not about who has water, who misses out on water, who's more powerful than the other person. But together they serve for the common good, unity and diversity. The church needs to use these gifts for the good of the whole church. But then Paul moves on to chapter 13. And he wants to get to the heart motivation behind what's going on. And, what they, and, and, and wants to show this Corinthian, uh, this Corinthian church what should be at the center of the church. And he says it's love. How you use your gifts, how you use your abilities, it's all about love. And loving one another. And Paul wants his church to know the centrality and primacy, uh, and primacy of love. So he finishes chapter 12. And he's basically saying, okay, this is what gifting you have. But then he says there, and it's going to be on the screen behind me, he says, let me show you a more excellent way, a better way, a greater way, he says. Then he moves on to chapter 13 and explains this idea of love. Have a look at the first three sentences. It says this. <coughs> if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, as so as to move mountains, 
but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I have to deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Paul straight away is going to show this church again the centrality of love and what matters. He's saying flashy gifts don't matter. Signs and wonders don't really matter. Love is what matters. He repeats this three times in his first three sentences. He says, if you can speak in, in languages of tongues, of even angelic beings, but have not love, then you're just a noisy sounding gong. If you have a word from God, prophetic powers, and you can speak, understand all mysteries, and he emphasizes the word all, all knowledge and all faith, so much faith you can move mountains. You'd look amazing, but if you don't have love, it's pointless. Those gifts account for nothing, amount to nothing if you don't have love. They're pointless. He says, even if you had all, if even if you gave away all you had, you were so generous and, and even you were, you were killed for your faith, but you don't have love, then it's futile. It's worthless, a waste of time. Paul is hammering away at the same point again and again and again. If you don't have love, you've missed the point. It's not about how great you look or what you can do or gifts you have or how spiritual you are. It's actually about love. Love, is what Paul is teaching here, is to be the center, the, 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 the base of this church and of church in general. That is what matters. Love is to be the center of the church. Now, it seems like these Corinthians have missed the point. Just recently, um, my family and I went away on a holiday. Uh, Katie was really keen to take the kids to see the snow for the first time. And so we're talking about going to take the kids to the snow. We thought that had been an expensive exercise, and so, um, especially with a family of five, I've been paying for lift passes and all the gear and getting into the national park, and I could just picture, you know, getting there and getting everything set up and taking, you know, hours to get there and then getting on the field, then five minutes in, I'd hear Sab say, I'm cold, Daddy, let's go home, and I'd think, goodbye, dollars. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so I thought, we thought, let's do something different. So we found a place called Corrin Forest in Canberra, which has like a small, a small snow field, a small little slope we can toboggan down. And you just go for two hours, and you pay for that two hours, then you go home again. And so we thought that'd be great. So uh, the point of the holiday was to go and experience the snow. So we drive to um, we drive to uh, to Canberra, and on the way, I remember that my dad used to drive me to Canberra. And on the way, he, he stopped at Goulburn to see something called the Big Merino. <laughs> so I the Big Merino, a national icon, right? Anyway, the, so I thought, let's do that with the kids. And so we took the kids to see the Big Merino. Here's a picture of Big Merino. It's a Big Merino. It, it is what, you, what I said it is. It's a Big Merino. And um, here's a picture of Jet Wanna Take if it's, um, if it's behind. It's rather, rather uh, oversized testicles. Anyway, um, and he's inside what it looked like inside. That's it. You look at it through the eyeball, and that's it. Now, my kids had a great time. Um, it's, uh, uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to pay to go inside because um, the people who own it know it's not worth paying for. And uh, anyway, we, we went in there for five minutes. It was so cold. Ran back out again, drove to the snow. Went to the snow, had a great time in the snow. Even went to Questacon for a day, did a bunch of other great things. Had a good time. End of the holiday, we're driving home. And I said, uh, driving uh, back from Canberra, after a great week, did so many fun and amazing things. And I said to my daughters, hey, well, what, what was your favorite part of the holiday? Was the snow, the quest gone? And they go, no, the big merino. <laughs> I'm like, really? The big merino? So we had to stop there on the way home again. So we went twice to the big merino. <clears throat> that was a little frustrating. We could have saved ourselves a lot of money and gone to Golden for a day trip and then head home again. That would have been great. 
But they missed the point of the holiday. The point of the holiday was then for them to experience the snow and have a great time in the snow, not visiting a big merino. And Paul is saying something similar to here. He's saying to these Corinthians that you've missed the point. You've missed the point of gifts. You've missed the point of church. You've missed the point of your abilities that God has given you. They're not there about you and to show how great you are. They're there to be used to love one another, to serve the body, to build up for the common good. That's the point of church. That's the point of your gifting, is to love others. If you don't love others with the gifts you've been given, they're worthless, they're pointless. Paul's saying this is how the church is to operate, out of love. That's God's good design. It's the most excellent way, as Paul says. Love is to be the center of the church. But the question then is, is asked, what is love? Because that's really, there's a song about that, isn't there? I'm not going to sing it. But what is love? Um, because we have so many ideas. Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? What is love, right? Paul's saying it's supposed to be the center of the church. What will the church look like that has love at the center? And so he addresses that in sentences 4 to 7. Have a look at this. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not, rude, it is not arrogant or rude. Doesn't insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And again, Paul is super clear here. He's saying, This is what love is. And he states it, he says it. It's pretty clear, it's patient, it's kind, it rejoices in truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what it is. Then he says, Look, just so we're clear, here's what it's not. So it's not envious or doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. That's what love isn't. So if you're doing that, you're not loving. But love, as you're called to do. And I love that, that list that Paul put up for us. It basically is, is all about how we relate to one another. It's not about a feeling or an emotion. It's actually how we function in relationships, how the church is to function. And love here really is other person-centered. If you look at that list, it's other person-centered. Love puts the needs of others before its own. Love looks beyond oneself to the needs of others. Love hangs in there with people because it's patient. The word there is actually long-suffering is the word. It's slow to anger and kind. It seeks the good of others. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures. It doesn't end. There's no end of, how much should I love to this far? He goes, no, no, it endures. It keeps going. I think this is so spot on when we think about relationships and about church because with relationships, we can hurt one another. We have, we have the capacity to really hurt one another in relationships. People can hurt us. We are broken, we are fallen, we are still selfish, we're a work in progress. We have capacity to hurt. So what do we do? Well, Paul says, God says, love. With a love. Because it endures, it is patient, and it hopes. But also notice it says rejoice, and love rejoices in truth. Loving doesn't mean you're a doormat. You speak the truth in love. You can correct people in love. You point them towards the truth in love. Love speaks truth in love. As Paul said at the start, this is the most excellent way. A people, a community, the church of Jesus Christ, loving one another like this being other-person-centered, enduring with one another, being patient. Can you imagine being part of a communion like this? People who love one another genuinely, using gifts, using our, our talents, our time, our stuff, our money, 
for the good of others. And you get this beautiful picture in Acts 2 and 4 of this. This is God's picture, his desire for the church. But again, if you look at sentences 4 to 7, and can you put that back up for me again, Phoebe? Sentences 4 to 7, Paul describes what love is, and it almost, also, it almost appears like Paul is talking about a person. It's like he's got someone in mind that he's thinking about, and he talks about what they are like. Most likely, this is the person of Jesus. Jesus is love personified. God is described in 1 John as love. God is love, it says. And God's described in the Bible again and again as what? Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That is who he is. That's his nature. So Jesus comes as God in the flesh. And it almost seems like Paul is describing what Jesus is like. So you could say, Jesus is kind, Jesus is patient, Jesus is slow to anger, Jesus endures, Jesus is truth. Just sub his name in there for that. And we see this, right? You see when you read the Gospels of, of Jesus Christ, you think about how Jesus interacted with the broken and the marginalized and the poor and then those in need. I love reading and watching Jesus, how he interacted with the Samaritan woman in John 4, the woman at the well, right? No one would talk to her, no one would engage with her. She comes to the well in the middle of the day because no one else would want to be around her. What does Jesus do? He crosses so many cultural barriers and he goes and loves her and engages with her. Think about how Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus, ripping off his own people, greedy. And Jesus comes and he loves him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come and hang at your house tonight. A thief from the cross, a criminal. Jesus says, today in paradise with me. He weeps over Lazarus when he dies and comforts Lazarus' siblings. The woman who was sick and touched with Jesus' cloak, Jesus stops the whole crowd procession and says, who touched me? And he engages with her and he heals her and he saves her. He's a demon-possessed man that no one would go near because they're too scared. Jesus engages with him and loves him. The prostitute who washes his feet at a party where everyone's going, what is she doing here? Jesus goes, no, no, let her come. Jesus loves. And these are often stories we just pass over in the Gospels, but these are stories of Jesus loving real and broken people. He's kind, he is slow and gentle and patient, not rude or arrogant or resentful, but he loves, and at most times, at a cost to himself. We see this with us, right? How Jesus loves us. We see him in the ultimate act of love, seeking the good of others, not putting his own needs before others, coming to earth and dying on a cross. And in that act on the cross, God screams, I love you. Jesus humbles himself to death on a cross, beaten, and then having nails driven through his hands and wrists, and he's hung on a wooden cross, rather insisting on his own way for an instant, but rather choosing out of love to take our sin, our guilt, our punishment, and our shame. And out of love, he takes our sin away. And in that act of love, he says, come and know my love. Come and experience my love for you, my Father's love for you. Come as you are, failures and all. Come as like the prostitute did. Come as the Samaritan woman did. Come as Zacchaeus did. Come because my love is sufficient. My love over, over, will, will, will cover your sin. And it will deal with your past and present and future failures. And I love that as I walk with Jesus now, as we walk with Jesus now, he's still so patient with us. I stuff up, I fall daily, I doubt him, I get angry at him, I've, I fail him, I run away from him, I grow cold to the gospel again and again. And I try and do things of my own strength and not trust him. 
I've been a Christian for almost 20 years. But because of his love and because of the cross, he never says to me, Gav, come on, do better. I'm, I'm out of here. He says, no, no, no. I Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And he keeps saying, come to me. He says, trust me. I love you and I got this. Come and learn that I'm in control. I'm working for your good, even though you can't see it. He's patient with me. He endures with me. He is kind to me. And he is ever present with me. Through trials and hardships of life, I know that his love will sustain me and I can call on him and count on him as my rock and my shelter and my refuge and my strength every single day. And I love that his mercies are anew each morning. And I know that because of his love, I will endure and he will hold on to me and he protects me. And I know that one day I will be home with him seeing face to face where I belong. Because my God is love. And because he loves us and because he is love and because he's poured out his love unconditionally and lavishly on us and his church, we then in light of that love are to love one another. We're to love as he loves us. Selfless, other person centered. It's a costly love. But in light of his love, it's nothing. And as we do this, as we love one another, motivated by his love, we remind each other here of how much we're loved by God. We can encourage one another to to know his grace as we show grace to each other. And if someone comes into our midst or we meet someone who doesn't know God and his love, we are vessels of his grace to them by how we love them. I love the idea that people can experience God as we, his living temples, show kindness and love to them. We are his ambassadors, his representatives. We are his vessels. People can come and meet with the living God as they meet here with us. And this is God's plan, his vision for the church. This is his plan. This is the most excellent way, as Paul says. His plan for the church. Now, this may uh, sound like a bit of an old man rant, but, you know, I'm not that old, but it makes me feel this way sometimes. Uh, I, I feel like we, we live in a world where things change so fast. Like, everything moves so quickly. Nothing lasts anymore. Out with the old, in with the new. The new gets old fast, and we move on, and then that becomes obsolete. Last week, we were chatting at RMC and talking about dial-up internet. And uh, we were asking, who remembered that? Now, I'm not going to name names, but there's some people in there who didn't even know what dial-up internet was. I hear some, oh, what's over there? It's okay, you're secret safe with me. Um, and we're talking about old gaming systems like Super, uh, Super Nintendo and Sega Master System and Mega Drives and Game Boys and Nintendos and what we had. And then someone said, yeah, I was four in 1998. I'm like, wow, I left school in 1998. Um, things move on. Life keeps going quicker and quicker. Things change. Nothing lasts. Out with the old, in with the new. Then the new gets old and we move on again. You know, think about your iPhone. One of my frustrations at the moment. I have an iPhone 5S. Less than two years old. It freezes all the time. I'm sure it's through those updates. Anyway, but that will soon become obsolete and that will move on. And very little endures in life. Very little endures. Everything becomes old and we do away with it and we move forward. Imagine though if something did endure. Imagine if something did last forever. You'd want to find that thing and pursue it. It's worth investing in. Growing in it, getting better at it. 
because you know that it will last. This is what Paul says about love. Have a look at sentences 8 to 13 with me. At first, three words, love never ends. And he goes on to show how it won't end. He says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the grace of these is love. Paul says, pursue love because love never ends. Pursue love because love never ends. Now, at this you hear in the Corinthian church was getting these great gifts to show how spiritual they were, how gifted they were, how great they were. And Paul's saying, they're not going to last. What's the point? Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, all gone, he says in sentence 9. When the perfect comes, when Jesus comes and ushers in a new age and takes us into eternity... What we, what we understand in, in part, we'll understand fully. The now we have here on earth will pass away, it says, and the new will come. And these gifts will pass away, he says. These gifts we have belong to the now. They are redundant. They're gone. But he says, what won't pass away? Love won't. Love won't pass away. Love never ends. It endures forever. I love what he says in sentence 12. Now here on earth we see in a mirror dimly. It's a reflection. It's hard to make out. It's hard to sort of see through our reflection what's going on. We can feel like that in life, in our Christian walk. A bit hazy, trying to cling on. But he says in glory, in heaven, we will see face to face. All will become, all will become revealed to us. No more dimly seeing, but fully understanding. All will be revealed. And when all is revealed, he says, what remains? Love. Love remains. He sums up in sentence 13, faith, hope, and love. He says, in, in, uh, abide in these. But he says, love is the greatest. <clears throat> I think he says, love is, is the greatest because it will remain. It will, endure, it will endure. In heaven, we won't need faith anymore. We will see face to face. In heaven, we, we, won't, we don't need hope anymore because we're not hoping for what we already have. That's gone too. Back in heaven, we will, we will love and be loved and love others perfectly as we were created to do. Love will remain. Because God will remain. And he is love. So, because love will remain, because God is love and always will be, the church is to pursue love, Paul says. Love is to be the central pillar of the church. Paul is saying here. Before I wrap all this up, I want to draw your attention to the second half of sentence 12. Can you bring that back up for me, Phoebe, please? Second half of sentence 12. Paul says, speaking about eternity in heaven, he says, Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Let me say it again. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I, I love this. Paul is saying, in eternity, we will know God. We will know Him face to face. And boy, do I long for that day. Fully in His presence. But see how Paul puts it? He says, he says, even as I am fully known now. It's like God knows us fully, but we don't know him fully yet. But he knows us. He knows us. And Paul's saying it's past tense. It's been known. 
Paul is saying here, God knows you. He knows you. The Lord of all knows you. He knows your thoughts, your desires, your worries, your fears, your concerns. I love this. He's numbered every hair on our head. He knows your shame, your brokenness, your guilt, your, 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 your past. And there is nothing he doesn't know about you. Nothing is hidden from him. You're fully known to him. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm a bit of an open book. Um, mostly. But there are some parts of me that I want to keep hidden. That I hide away. Because honestly, I'm ashamed of them. There are parts of my heart, my past, my failures, that I will not, will not let anyone see. I don't like them. Some parts of myself that I hate, that I wish weren't there. That I wish I didn't think that way, feel that way. I wish I wasn't like that. But I am. And I'm terrified of people seeing that part of me. But what, but what, what I know is that God knows me. He knows what I'm like. He knows me fully. He knows me baggage and all, warts and all, failures and all. And he says, I know you and I love you. He still accepts me. He accepts me through his perfect, sinless saviour, the son Jesus. Jesus comes and he finds me as I am and he says, I've come to save you, release you, to break the chains of your guilt and your shame and from your fears. You no longer need to hide anymore. I know you and I love you. And Jesus says, you're free. You no longer have to carry that burden, that baggage of your past mistakes. You're not defined by that anymore. You were defined by me and my death and resurrection. And you and I are a child of living God. You are fully known and accepted because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you're here this, here this afternoon and, and you feel like you are carrying guilt and shame and you're trying to hide, Jesus is saying to you, come to me, don't hide anymore. I've dealt with it all on the cross. It is finished. Jesus says, only I can deal with it all. Only I can carry all of it. Let me carry it. Come to me. Come into the freedom of being a child of living God. I want to say that if you know Jesus or you don't, that is the offer of the gospel. And that is there for you. If you do know Jesus, I would encourage you to remember that is who you are. We fight every day for this. We, we, are, we are enslaved often by our shame and our guilt and our failure to think we can never change. That is not true. That is not true. We need to believe the work of God in Christ on the cross that we are set free. We are no longer a slave to our sin. But I want to finish all this up and wrap this up. We're reading 1 Corinthians 13, hearing out Paul speaking to a church, talking about the central uh, pillar of the church needs to be love. What do we do with this as, as a church here 2,000 years later in Balmain at City Life? What do we do with this? How do, how do, what is God saying to us here this afternoon? Let me ask, let me ask you some, some questions. How do you go at loving others at City Life? What stops you from loving, loving others at City Life? Maybe, maybe, maybe you feel like you have no more to give. Maybe you feel like you're in a season where you need, you need more love and you can't love anyone else at the moment. 
Maybe you've been let down by others and you've tried to love others and tried to put yourself out there, but no one reciprocates it and so you're just hurt and you need to pull back for a while. So when you hear this, what do you do with this passage? I want to say this passage could make you feel guilty, but I want to say this passage is about motivation and your intentions and God sees your heart. So if you're in a season that you're finding really hard and you, you need care, I want to say simply turning up to church and MC is an act of love for you. Being at church and being MC and talking to someone costs you, and that is love. Sharing your needs and asking for prayer is a way of loving as you are letting people in and you are creating genuine community. I want to say, let us, uh, sorry, love us by letting us love you. Say it again, love us by letting us love you. God sees your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're carrying. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows how hard it is for you at the moment, but he's saying to you, keep turning up, keep coming, keep loving. And I, I, I so believe that if that is your intention, that is his intention, he'll bless you and empower you to do that. He will. You know, for new mums or for people who are suffering or people who are struggling, just turning up, I think, is an amazing act of love for the church. And I want to say thank you for doing that. Because that's all you have to give in this season. And that's okay. It won't always be like that. There'll be different seasons. But at the moment it is. So I want to say thank you for loving us that way. If you're feeling hurt and let down by the church, ask God for help. Because Satan is going to get in there. And he's going to to want to make you bitter and angry and frustrated and pull away from the church. And saying, I don't need them. I deserve better. How dare they treat me like that? That sort of language is not of God. God loves his church, mess and all. He knows it's broken. He knows it needs his help. But he also knows it, need, it needs you. He needs you to keep stepping into the church, even when it's hard, to help us to get better at loving one another. You may need to confront some people and talk to them in love and say how they've hurt you, but please don't withdraw and leave. That is not of God. And anyone who sits on the fringe of church, no one wins. No one enjoys that. You lose, we lose. Nobody wins. If you're, at hurt, if you're hurt and upset at church or whatever it is, please come and talk to someone. Jez and I are here. We'd love to chat and hear you and pray with you and help you go forward. Please act, though. But to the rest of us, I want to ask you a question. Now, look, I have no one in mind here as I say this question. This is a question worth, I think, that comes out of the passage here. It's this. If everyone treated church loved church and engaged in church as you did, what sort of church would we have? Would it be a church that you want to come to? Let me ask it again. If everyone treated church and loved church and engaged in church as you did, what sort of church would we have? Would you want to come to it? Think of that for a minute. See, in this passage, God puts it on individual followers of his and says, love one another as I have loved you. He's not saying to, 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 for you to look sideways and saying, yeah, they should love me more. He's saying, no, no, no. If you understand my love, then love one another. He's saying, examine your heart. He says, he says I know your heart. Is your motivation love? Selfless, other person-centered love? Love as you have been loved? He doesn't say much about or how to love or how to exactly do it. He just says love. 
He gives you the model of Christ and says, be like him, now go and do the same. If you're struggling to love, maybe you need to go back and meditate as we always do on the gospel and know how much we have been loved in Christ. Lavish love. See, in all that we do as a church, as individual followers of Jesus, is to be, is to be motivated out of gospel-centered love and grace. From serving one another to turning up the church and MC, talking to someone throughout the week or at a, a church service, to giving financially, to sharing how you're going, asking for help, all to be motivated by love. We have different capacities in different seasons, but no matter what season we're in, we're all called to love. God asking the question this afternoon is, how are you going at that? And when we love one another like this, like God loves us, we'll be a genuine community and a family that reminds one another of how much we are loved by God, but also a community that is attractive to where people can come in and experience God in our church. That's God's plan for a church, and that's his most excellent way, as he says here, 1 Corinthians 13. Let me pray. Lord, I want to pray that we be people who, who ponder on your love, who daily meditate on your love, who understand the depths of your grace, who get how wide and deep and high and long is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we'd be so filled with that love. We want to pray, Holy Spirit, fill us more with that love to understand your, your gospel. Lord, we want to repent and we often, we often short-circuit your love and we, we just move on from from the cross. But Lord, we want to pray that it be so central in our lives. We can't let go and we, we, we stand in awe of your, of your mercy and your grace and your love for us. And out of that love we ask, we want to pray that we'd be a church, a community that is, that is just filled and, and has, a, has a passion to love one another. I'm not seeing it as a burden or a duty, but as a delight reflecting you. For us here who are feeling tired and burdened and weighed down and busy, Lord, give us a peace. Give us a refreshment of the gospel. Be our ever-present help right now. For those who are feeling convicted, I pray, Lord, that would not turn to guilt or to shame, but turn into godly repentance. Lord, just help us to be a community who's about you and reflecting you and your love to this world as you so deserve. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.